Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 97 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? I'm great. Good. Uh, had a nice weekend. Nice. Um, we went and hung out for Rexmas, which uh, Corey of the Twin Ports Horror Society and his wife Susie have this big Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Their dog's name is Rex, so they call it oh, Rexmas. Oh, I thought maybe it was at the Rex. No, like, no, no, no. Just, just the dog's name is Rex. So we hung out with and did that, and they have karaoke, like in their house. Awesome. And I love karaoke, <laughs> so I got to sing Ursula, and I got to sing a song from Heather's the Musical, and I was just, I was all about it. I was just on cloud nine, it. so yep. happy. <laughs> and then we had a Duluth Dolls meeting where we got to make pasties. Nice. Which, for those of you who don't know what pasties are, they're not to be confused <laughs> with pasties. Pasties you buy in a Lutheran church basement. Pasties <laughs> cover your nipples. Very yep. different. Very popular in burlesque. Yep. Yes. You do not buy pasties in a Lutheran church basement. No, so. they probably kind of frown upon them. Who knows? I guess it depends on the on the on the congregation. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh but otherwise, uh pretty chill. Pretty easy going. Awesome. Awesome. How are you? Uh all right. I uh, on Saturday I got to MC the NPR Emerging Artist Showcase that featured all Indigenous artists. Cool. By the way, Laura Hugo. Oh, my God. She's amazing. Okay. She yeah. only sings sad songs, but but her voice is absolutely phenomenal. Um, sad it, songs, them's my people. Right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I uh, – okay. So all of you know that I can't talk very well, and <laughs> – I felt really bad because there is this one indigenous drum circle that for the life of me, while on stage in front of all these people, I could not say properly. Oh. They they told me. I repeated it back to them. I could say it. They're like, that's it. That's perfect. That's perfect. I would sit there and I'd repeat it over and over and over and over and over again. And then I'd get on stage and I couldn't say it. And I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> why why am I here? Why am I doing this? This is stupid. <laughs> I messed up my intro a lot because I was so tired and okay, so Sacred Heart, beautiful uh used to be Catholic church. We had a terribly, terribly cold night on Friday night. Mm-hmm. Super windy. It blew out the I think the pilot light for the boiler. Yeah. And then the temperature just dropped. And so when Eric, the sound guy, went in at like noon, he turned it on, he restarted it, turned it on full blast, but it's a freaking church. So it was absolutely freezing in there the entire time, Mm -hmm. which didn't help. Churches are huge and drafty anyway, and this is like an old school church. It's old, yeah. So, But it was nice to like take back and like celebrate an entire culture that the Catholic Church, which is what the church was originally for, had done so many terrible things. To be clear, Sacred Heart is no longer a Catholic church. No, no. We, we support Sacred Heart. Yes, yes, we do. Otherwise, <laughs> we wouldn't have had it there. Exactly. The indigenous community supports Sacred Heart. Yes. <laughs> um, shit, what was I going to say? Well, you have an announcement. Ah, yes, that's what I was going to say. We have an announcement. Yeah. I don't know what y'all are doing on uh, 
December 19th. You know, it's the buildup to Christmas. It's almost Christmas time at that point. And we here at Left of Skeptic have a Christmas present for you. Our faces. <laughs> we're going to do another live stream. Yes. So yes, we're going we to record our uh, Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. And we'll be doing it live and then it'll be released later. But if you want to hop on, we'll be doing it on Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably do it on my TikTok as well. Just because. I mean, unless you want to get you all and several hundred of your friends to we need all at least a thousand. It. That's why each person has to provide us with several hundred. A follower of a follower tree. We're a like follower a tree. we're like a multi-level marketing scheme. Aw. <laughs> um, but uh we will be on there. And then if you have questions or anything you want to ask us or anything you want to share with us, mm-hmm. we will be there live answering questions. We're gonna have some after we finish the recording of the episode, we'll have a few other just small bonus things that won't be in the recorded episode to talk about like other small stories we haven't covered before, that kind of stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Let's and this time we're giving you way more than a less than 24 hour notice. Yeah. It's 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 huge. We don't normally plan this far ahead. <laughs> no, no, we really don't. Well, knowing what we're going to record for Christmas is one thing, but I know what I have to record tonight. Okay. So are you ready for it? I'm ready for it. This week, I'm going to tell you about the Gold Camp Rail Tunnels. Gold Camp Rail Tunnels. Yes. Okay. In the Colorado Springs area, set in the hills of Bear Creek Park, are nine arch tunnels known as the Gold Camp Rail Tunnels. They were constructed during the 1800s to help support the ongoing Pike Peak Gold Rush. A railway was laid down on the route that is now Gold Camp Road. And it was known as the Short Line Train Service and began in 1901 with 200 freight cars used to haul minerals, supplies, and people throughout the area. Okay. In 1922, the Short Line Railroad was sold at auction and converted into the Corley Mountain Highway. Opening in 1924, the toll road allowed passenger cars to drive through the tunnels that had been originally carved for the railroad. And on May 6, 1939, the route became free for the public to use instead of a tollway. Okay. And remained open to vehicular vehicular travel until 1988. You can follow Gold Camp Road all the way up until it becomes a dirt road. And then you continue on until the tunnels appear. The Helen Hunt Tunnel. And uh, it's named for the the Helen Hunt Waterfall by it. Uh, Apparently there is a Helen Hunt Falls. But it is named after an 1800s poet. Not the Mad About You actress. Okay. I was like, (laughs) Helen Hunt from Twister? And that's what I was like. My brain is like, oh man, she popular. She's Helen really Hunt. popular. And then there. I was like looking it up. I was like, is she from Colorado? Like what? <laughs> and then you're like, she's not even from Colorado. Why do they <laughs> like her so much? No, it's a poet from the 1800s. Okay. Uh, so Helen Hunt Tunnel may also be accessed from Old Stage Road. There's multiple ways to get around here. Mm-hmm. You can park at the collapsed tunnel number six, where a six mile hike or mountain bike ride will take you to Helen Hunt Falls. You will pass through Tunnel 5 and 4 along the way. There's foot traffic, mountain bikes, and motorcycles all allowed on this, but you can't drive a car through there anymore because there are some collapsed tunnels. Yeah. Yeah. Age and lack of maintenance and vandalism have resulted in three of the tunnels collapsing, and they are supposedly haunted. Were there people in them when they collapsed? You'll see. (laughs) According to Atlas Obscura and the most prevalent folktales, One of the tunnels collapsed while a school bus full of children. (gasps) 
orphaned and homeless children, according oh, to some of these legends. No. Was apparently this bus full of children or orphans or whatever was driving through when they hit and it collapsed on top of them, killing the driver and all of the passengers, leaving their sad little spirits to linger around the tunnels. That is so sad. That story is likely false. I mean, yeah, especially when you add the homeless orphan aspect to it, but... (laughs) We know that the tunnel collapsed in 1988. That's when it stopped being a main public road accessible by cars. Mm -hmm. So because Tunnel 3 collapsed, there were no news reports of anybody being caught in the the collapse. And I mean... And in 88, it's not like going to be a lost record. And uh, a school bus full of homeless orphan children... Would, you know people would put that on the front page. People would put that out there, yep. The actual reason it fell is just because it was really old, like we said, lack of maintenance, and the wood supports in there likely gave way, and it did a partial collapse. So but, if you wanted to, I mean, you shouldn't. <laughs> they have it, it actually gated off. If you wanted to, you could go in there and actually still make it all the way through on foot. It's only partially collapsed. Uh, oh, But you shouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So in reality, three of the nine tunnels did collapse, and today these collapses have caused major detours for automobile traffic. The collapsed Tunnel 3, which is the Helen Hunt Falls one, has been blocked off with these big black steel fences adorned with ominous, like, keep-out signs, which I'm sure is part of what motivated people to come up with these stories. Yeah, it's creepy. And the big keep-out signs and black fence is also just daring Stupid teenagers to sneak in. That's their favorite thing to do is to go against what signs say. Yeah. So apparently, like, several different comments said, yeah, if you go on this side, you can totally sneak your body through between the fence and the and the hill. And, you know, if you go in there, there's blood stains on the ceiling. Like, there's not blood stains on the ceiling of the tunnel. It's rust at, from the iron deposits. Yeah. But, but that's what they all, like... Every comment section I was in had multiple people arguing about whether or not the bus crash was real, but any reputable source would tell you that the bus crash did not happen. Even though the accident on the school bus is an urban legend, many accidents have happened on that road. The construction of the tunnels cost some rail workers their lives. Obviously, that's pretty standard Standard. for those 1800s building scenarios. Yeah. And many accidents have happened on the road. Local authorities claim 11 wrecked cars still rest below the road. What? Because it's like it's like other accidents we've talked about in those scenarios where cars roll down these giant steep hills. There's oh. no reasonable way to get them out. No. So they just rest there. Dirt roads can be dangerous in some weather conditions, and the large potholes and the road's narrow width and sharp turns make it risky too. The most recent accident was as soon as March of 2015 when a geo tracker drove off the road at three in the morning, plunging 400 feet and killing a Virginia man. Oh my gosh. Nowadays, hikers report hearing laughter in the area Uh. and cars able to get close enough have found dusty little handprints on the windows and paint of their vehicle. People feel tugging on their clothes and have reported finding scratches on their skin with no recollection of any sort of abrasive impact during their hike or bike. And this may be a coincidence, but perhaps not. I guess we don't. I mean, if it was me, I would assume that I just injured myself without realizing it. But other people apparently register that kind of stuff. (laughs) 
The first two tunnels don't have any well-known disasters surrounding them, Mm -hmm. but they have spawned their own list of mysterious happenings throughout the years, from freak accidents to just weirdo, like, what the hell, what's going on? One of the most famous ways to test for ghouls in the area is by parking your car in neutral in the second tunnel at night. Oh, and see if you keep moving? Basically, it's reported that the brave people willing to do this will feel pushing against their car, sometimes enough to slowly move the vehicle uphill in the tunnel. So it's not like it's just rolling on its own. Right. Many have also reported seeing handprints in the dust covering their trunk like somebody was pushing them from behind. Interesting. And have mentioned seeing the figure of a man walking back in the back of their car. I mean, at least... At least this ghost seems to want to be helpful. Like, hey, you shouldn't be here, man. I got you. Unless it's not helpful and it's like, get the fuck out. If he doesn't shove your car, some reports still see the figure of a dark man just walking up and down the tunnel length. That is not what I want to see in a tunnel. One of our favorite websites, hauntedplaces.org, was a wealth of personal stories. A user named Rick posted on January 11th of 2015... I grew up in Springs, AAHS 1974, I think that's like class of whatever AAHS is, and had a very unexplainable experience. My future wife and I headed up Gold Camp Road to get buzzed before going to a hockey game at the Broadmoor. I don't remember what tunnel it was, but we seemed to have passed another car going the opposite direction in one of the tunnels. Okay. None of my sources said it directly, but there are a lot of reports of strange lights like other cars. Oh, I always drove pretty fast, and there was no way I could have stopped out of nowhere, but there were those headlights. We passed inside the tunnel. I got out of the side of the tunnel and stopped. We looked around. There was nothing. We were pretty freaked out. To this day, it has always been the weirdest thing that I've ever experienced. And another user named Cassandra K. Johnson replied to Rick's post on May 22nd of 2017 with a similar story. And she said, One night in the late 1980s, early 1990s, My first husband and I were driving on that same road, I believe. We had just come to the second tunnel when, out of nowhere, headlights came up behind us and came fast. I thought they were going to hit us, and there was nowhere to go. It's a single-lane road. I remember screaming at my husband, and boom, the headlights were gone. We got out to look over the edge, the only other place a car could have gone. Nothing. And we knew we had just seen a ghost. Mark uh, posted on July 31st of 2015. The school bus story is a myth, but some friends say they saw a ghostly figure holding an umbrella either at the first or second tunnel, can't remember which, wondered if anybody else had seen this. A person holding an umbrella? And a user named Astrid replied to him this February of 2020 and said, My best friend and I stupidly did the same thing. Parked in the second tunnel at night, obviously. Turned the car off and sat for however long we heard we were supposed to. I don't even remember for sure how long it was, but I can't recall for more than a minute passing before we started feeling the car rock on my side. The passenger side, which is the one time I was uh, not the one driving. Of course. Of course, the one time. I just had a feeling that I wanted to get out of there, and my best friend felt the same at the time. They went to start the car, and it wouldn't start like the battery had been drained from the touch or presence of them. No. I say them because there was more than one. Oh. So sheer panic, right? I'm sure the blood left our bodies, and we were as white as ghosts, pun intended. 
thinking we really did it this time and how we wouldn't need to lie to our parents, but they sure would have grounded each one of us for this lie, though this time we would really be telling the truth. Trust me, in these moments, those were not the thoughts going through our heads. First and foremost, we thought we were stuck and we were going to die. Mm -hmm. So this Mm -hmm. time I reached over to start the car. And this time the car started. It felt as if we got one big push, as if we had gotten stuck in a muddy ditch and it pushed us out. We wasted no time hightailing it out of there. We did not stop. We did not pass go. Did not collect $100. Pedal to the metal until we got to civilization. Honestly, I don't remember any of the way down, but when we got down and calmed down a bit, I went to put my window down and smoke a cigarette, and there was a child's handprint smack on my window right there in my face. So these things do happen up there. We've never really talked about it to others. I mean, it's not the best conversation starter, nor does it come up casually during a conversation. So this is my first time voicing it, really. Back then, we did not have our phones glued to our face to record video or take pictures. Plus, there's the skeptics just waiting to tear you down a new one if there's ever a video or pictures to prove such things are very real and write it off as a doctored photograph. And since no one such skeptic can look me in my face and tell me I did not experience what I did, that's the best proof I have to me anyway, and that's all I need. It's crazy that there's a man there, too. We never once glanced back or looked in the rearview mirror to notice, so we didn't encounter that. I'm sure glad we didn't, and all we got was a bunch of kids poking fun fun at us. Okay, also, where is this person where that's not a conversation starter? <laughs> you know that not a lot of people talk about ghosts like we do? I, I'm i starting to learn that with the more people who I mention, like, oh, I have a podcast. Oh, what is your podcast about? It's a paranormal podcast. They're like, oh. <laughs> so I'm like, ghosts, haunted <laughs> objects, you know. And they're like, oh. But basically, uh, Astrid was saying that not only did they get the kid's handprint, yeah, they felt the push, the, like the, I need to get out of here, but they didn't ever look back. Yeah, well, I wouldn't see. either. Sometimes, ignorance is indeed bliss. <laughs> <laughs> Samantha posted on October 16th of 2015, I am originally from Omaha, Nebraska. I came to Colorado to be with my boyfriend, and it's in the middle of October, and I'm a Halloween junkie. So I've never been so scared in my life, I actually cried. We came up to the second tunnel and we stopped in the middle and I saw the man that has been described. Also, we heard a train horn. My boyfriend heard this horn right next to our truck. I will never go there again. And so, yeah, so they didn't see headlights, but they heard a horn. Right. Which these were old train tunnels, so. That makes sense. A user named Tripno posted on December 7th of 2015. I've read that the bus crash in the third tunnel is a myth, and I've never experienced anything in that tunnel or the second tunnel. I have experienced a few things in the first tunnel, which is the long, straight tunnel on the Bear Creek side of the road. Two friends and I had parked our car in the east side of the tunnel and walked as far into the tunnel as we could until we couldn't see each other or the hands in front of our faces, but we could see both ends of the tunnel. Okay. I remember it got pretty dark that night, when we made our first attempts to contact the spirit. We did everything from trying to carry on a conversation to straight-up taunting. It was during our taunting when the air got very cold and we heard a very loud crash at the end of the tunnel we had just walked in. I don't know about the others, but I was looking at the east end of the tunnel and saw nothing, but heard what sounded like a huge sheet of metal slamming into the walls of the tunnel. Those noises were loud enough to make me jump. Both my friends and I went dead quiet. We didn't experience anything that night other than noticing the name written on the wall in the west end. 
The name said Josh, and it was written with what looked like water. The weird thing is the name persisted for a week or two, not drying up at all. Weird. Okay. I had two other experiences at that same tunnel in one night, sometime later. With two other friends, one of who was with me during our first experience, we drove into the tunnel from the east side and shut our car off. We sat for a while, just listening to the engine pop idly, when from behind us came a pair of headlights, looking like they wanted to drive through. So we started our car and drove through with the headlights following about halfway into the tunnel. When we pulled off and let the car go by and looked back, both the headlights and the car had completely vanished. Feeling a little weirded out, we walked back into the tunnel from the west end. We walked until it was completely dark and stood in the middle of the tunnel. Our mood was much lighter this time as we stood around talking and joking, and another pair of headlights approached us from the east. The tunnel is wide enough to stand in while cars pass by, so we stood and watched the headlights. As we watched, it looked like the car started turning left. The only thing to the left on Gold Camp, if you're driving from the east, is a cliff. Oh. We watched in horror as it looked like one, then both headlights turned and disappeared over the cliff edge. We ran to the end of the tunnel and found absolutely no tire marks other than our own. Now that goes for both cars we saw that night. No tire marks were ever seen. And we never heard a thing. No metal grinding, no engines, nothing. Anyway, we found no tire marks heading off to the mountain and we saw no car below. Yeah, but 11 cars have plummeted off that mountain. Mm-hmm. The rest of the night wasn't eventful, so we eventually went home. So yeah, those are my only experience I've had on Gold Camp, and I've been to the third tunnel since it was permanently closed. There's a gap between the grating and the rock wall that you can slide through, and the tunnel can be walked all the way through over a sheet of metal on the ground, which I think is what inspired the bus story. Mm. All the way to the other grating. Sounds like maybe you just don't want to do that, though. It's just not smart. If it's a partially collapsed tunnel, it could be a fully collapsed tunnel, I'm just saying. And if you're sneaking out there in the middle of the night, no one's going to know that that's where you are? Yep. And for the last one that I grabbed, there are a lot more stories on there. Mm -hmm. Raquel posted on January 13th of 2016, I've been to Gold Camp a lot of times, both daytime and night in all three tunnels. For the most part, I have never experienced anything out of the ordinary except for one time. My friends and I would always go, but nothing ever happened. Everyone says to turn off your car in the middle of the tunnel and you'll feel someone pushing it, but nothing ever happened. We just had fun trying to scare each other into thinking something was really happening. One day, I went with my friend to hike the third tunnel. It was broad daylight when we went, and there were lots of other hikers. We drove through the side where the two tunnels are so that we went through to those and got to the parking lot where the third tunnel is. We got out and started unloading the car when we saw different sized handprints on the rear windshield. Mind you, we didn't stop in any of the tunnels to see if anything would happen. We literally just drove right through without paying any mind to the stories about that place. Not only were there prints on the car, but they were muddy prints. Normally, if there had been handprints on a car on a dusty road, the print itself would actually be, like, non-dusty. Right. These prints looked as if someone had mud on their hands and put them on the car. These handprints were dry, but there's a cluster of them in the middle of the windshield on the edges of it. You can tell by the photo that the handprints are different sizes. To this day, that's the only weird thing I've ever experienced at Gold Camp. Maybe it's because we weren't paying attention to what was going on. I don't know. But I believe there could be something going on up there. And I've got the picture. Oh. Oh. Okay. I will share that on our social media, obviously. But, yeah, no, it's, you can see a couple, like, down towards the edge and then one right up in the middle. Yeah. But... 
they're different size and it is it's weird. It's weird. It's weird because it's very weird. Honestly, yes, it could be made up, but it's I don't know. Seems like a weird thing to try to make up on that end. Yeah. Of all the other things you could just like tell stories about. And then also to go out of your way to have multiple people put their muddy handprint on your car. Because they are definitely different sizes. So with apparitions, horror stories, multiple accidents, Mm -hmm. even if the bus one isn't real, and other creepy happenings, it's no wonder that the gold camp tunnels are undoubtedly one of the most haunted places in Colorado. Boom. Finn. By the way, this is only our second ever Colorado story. What? Really? The only other one that we've ever covered is the, when you cover the Stanley. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, we've really been slacking on, like, we we hit hard the Midwest, but, like, like slightly west of the Midwest we've been slacking on. Yep. Yep. So. Huh. Well, that was that was great. A lot of handprints. A lot of. Uh, a lot of children. Well, and the thing is, I think it's just because the handprints are small. Because there's nothing saying giggling has to be children. No. I think we just associate spooky giggles with children. Yeah. I think the most consistent and the most creepy part is the seeing of cars and hearing of cars that aren't there. Yes. Yes. And that does make sense because if if cars, if 11 cars are going to drop 400 feet, People aren't going to really survive, and they're that. not even seeing that the they're not even saying that the eleven cars are the only accidents. They're just saying that those are the cars they it's haven't been able there. to recover. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I. Uh, I think. Wait, are you going to officially ask me? Yes. Okay. So, on a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what are you going to give the Gold Camp Rail Tunnels? I am going to give it a 4.25. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to go just a solid four. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I like to I like to outdo you a little bit <laughs> nearly every week. If we were going to go on the apparitions, like the, the man apparition or the kids or something, I probably would have gone lower mm-hmm. but you know i'm a sucker for a haunted car scenario Ugh, yeah it's your favorite and i don't know it's just it's the consistency it's it's always handprints and or pushing the back of the car no not even that consistency it's the consistency of all the other things people could have thrown out there mm-hmm. it's the consistency of a car right behind or coming at you and then disappearing yeah yep i yep. like consistency me too. <laughs> me too. What do you got for me this week? Well, tonight I am heading to Louisiana to tell you all about the St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 in New Orleans. I've been there. To the cemetery? Is that the one with Laveau? Yes, it is. I've been there. I'm, I put a bobby pin down. Literally, my next thing is, now you've been to New Orleans. <laughs> Have you? Did you take this tour? I did. So for... Those of you that might visit New Orleans, you have to pay to take a tour. You cannot just go into this cemetery. Yep. I have that in my notes okay, as sweet. to why. I was like, because I was, I like to point that out because I've heard of people showing up and just trying to walk in. There is a guard there constantly. If you mm-hmm. are not with a tour group, you will not get in. Yeah. The arch archdiocese of New Orleans 
was the one who was like, no. I didn't know that. I just know you can't get in without, oh. a, without a tour group. Well, I'll talk about it. And I had bit. the nicest, we had the nicest tour lady. Aw. She was sweet. Aww. I have that candle that you bought me. Yep. In one of your, one of the voodoo shops. Voodoo? All right. Voodoo? Yeah, it was voodoo. Okay. So the St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 is the oldest extant cemetery in New Orleans, having been established in 1789. Also, just an FYI, I got most of the information about the history of it from nolacatholiccemeteries.org, <laughs> which is a website all about the New Orleans Catholic cemeteries. And this is probably the only time that I'm going to say thanks, Catholic Church. For the information. So in 1788, the city of New Orleans was going through it Mm. due to two great fires, uh, an epidemic, probably several of them. The St. Peter Street Cemetery was quickly hitting its limit. And as if times hadn't been tough enough with the fires and the diseases that already plagued the city, physicians began to express concern over the cemetery's location. Ain't that tough enough? They were concerned. They were concerned that the St. Peter Street Cemetery poses even more of a threat of the spread of diseases because it was right in town, I'm guessing. Yeah. So, the city ordered the St. Peter Street Cemetery to be shut down and a new cemetery to be established further away from the general public. The Catholic Church selected a 300-square-foot parcel of land that bordered the marshy swampland on the edge of the city just about 40 yards from the rear garden of the then Charity Hospital. To be the location of this brand new cemetery, which they called St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. They put up a cute little picket fence around the perimeter, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, they immediately began putting it to use. (laughs) Originally, the cemetery was constructed as a temporary burial site, but on August 14, 1789, by Spanish royal decree... It became permanent. Fancy. Very fancy. Now, initially, when burials began here, they were in-ground burials following the convention established at the St. Peter Street Cemetery. However, by 1803, a city ordinance had been passed that mandated above-ground burials. Yep. Due to the very high water tables and the tendencies for cemeteries to flood. And then the bodies to come back up. And they'd be soggy. Soggy bodies, man. And although these mandates weren't always strictly followed, this did result in the style of internment that is often associated now with New Orleans. Well, as is the way, people passed on. Mm -hmm. And the cemetery experienced heavy usage in those early years, so much so that it soon expanded to the edge of the picket fence And then, following the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, as well as the Haitian Revolution, which happened between 1791 and 1804, the demographics of New Orleans really started to shift. Mm -hmm. According to the New Orleans Catholic Cemetery's website, quote, Americans from the northern states flooded to the city and brought Protestantism, Protestantism with them? I don't know what, I don't know another way to pronounce it. Yep, those, those... Protestants, they just came on over. And thousands of refugees from Haiti arrived with a mixture of Catholic, Caribbean, and West African-based religions. The cemetery was enlarged to accommodate the influx, 
with an additional parcel of land added at the rear of the original footprint for use of a Protestant burial ground. It could not be mixed in with anyone else. Yeah, Catholics, uh, it's weird. They don't. Like, if when you look back at any cemetery we've covered, when people cover, like, the separation for different religions and different parts of them, I'm like, they're all dead bodies, man. Right. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, so... Yes, there was a section of the original footprint that was used just for the Protestant burial ground, and adjacent to it was a space allotted for the burials of African Americans and people of color, unquote. In 1832, the New Orleans City Council approved the plan to extend Conti, Tremi, and Basin Streets, uh, which would cross through the St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, this required the transfer of certain burials, which was overseen by the church wardens and the city surveyor, Joseph Pili. In the end, Trimmy Street ended up running through the land dedicated to the Protestants, as well as the space set aside for New Orleans' BIPOC community, separating them from the rest of the cemetery. Doesn't that sound familiar? By 1838, most of the Protestant remains had been relocated to the Girod Cemetery, Girod Street Cemetery. Only a small section of Protestant graves remain today. In 1847, the Board of Church Wardens of the St. Louis Cathedral uh, agreed to relinquish part of their portion of the cemetery. And from 1847 and 1852, the remains of those interred within that portion of the cemetery were relocated to newly built vaults on Basson and Conti Street, as well as private family tombs. Uh, there have been a lot of instances of folks being relocated from this cemetery. Mm -hmm. And then we're just going to skip ahead in history to 1975. Okay. When the St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 was listed on the National Register of Historic Places, noted as having a national level of significance in the areas of art and architecture. And... In 2008, it was listed as part of the African-American Heritage Trail by the state of Louisiana due to the large number of historically and culturally significant African-Americans interred within the cemetery. Oh, okay. Today, the cemetery, which spans just over one city block, holds over 700 tombs and over 100,000 bodies of the dead and counting as it is still an active gravesite. Yep. Its age can be seen in the broken cobblestones that line the paths and alleyways, the chipped above-ground crypts, and vandalism. And the hectic layout of the tombs and burial plots don't really help with the eerie vibe. The, uh, the thing when you're in there that feels very off-putting or weird mm -hmm. is that there are some very chipped and, like, falling-apart things. But because it is an active cemetery, there are a lot of people that are very on top of maintaining their family's plot. Oh, yeah. So you go from these like ones that are big and gorgeous and really well-maintained to these ones where the family either is no longer around or there's nobody alive in the family to maintain it, so mm -hmm. they're just completely crumbling with the weather. It's a really weird like dynamic to see once you're in there touring it. Oh, I want to go there so bad. It is little surprise that the St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 is considered one of the most haunted cemeteries in the country. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For almost 200 years, folks have been reporting encounters with the ghosts of the cemetery. And while you may be able to explain away some of the spooky stories as overactive imaginations, 
There appear to be enough stories over the centuries to assume that some of them must be more para rather than normal. Yes. And although there is said to be a magnitude of unknown spirits who reside here, there are several people uh, that folks have pretty well figured out who they are, including the famous Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen. Mm -hmm. Born in 1801, Marie Laveau was a renowned Louisiana Creole practitioner of voodoo, herbalist and midwife, who was both revered and at times feared in New Orleans. According to GoCityTours.com, quote, she practiced fortune telling, the occult, and worked with herbal remedies. As awareness of Marie's skills and power spread throughout the population, her fame grew and gained unimaginable strength. Legend has it that she knew all of the secrets of all levels of society. No doubt she did as hordes of people fawned over her, begging for her to help them with their problems or to assist them in their own rituals and spells. She was quite literally the go-to voodoo practitioner in New Orleans during the 19th century, unquote. And the thing is, is not only would she know everybody's secret because she was well-known as, like, the go-to practitioner of voodoo, but you know that for every person that was willing to talk about it and spread it around, Mm -hmm. there were a bunch of other people that were going to her in secret and being like, help me, but wouldn't admit that they did it. 100%. they were a member of you know, a Hi, Christian society. religion or something like that, and they, they couldn't be seen with that. So for as many people that we knew that she was seeing, there's a whole, I'm sure there was a whole underground of people that didn't admit that they were seeing her. Oh, for sure. The ghost of Marie Laveau has been spotted throughout the French Quarter. She's recognized by most by the red and white turban tucked around her hair and her brilliantly colored clothes. But when folks try to follow her, she disappears right in front of their eyes. In the cemetery, folks have reported seeing her walking amongst the tombs. But if you see her, or even if you don't, you best not try to make any discouraging remarks about her or her religious practices. Those who have, have been known to be scratched, pinched, or shoved to the ground. Marie Laveau ain't having none of that disrespect. No, I absolutely believe it. I agree. But if you are a believer, according to legend, if you mark her tomb with three X's while asking for a wish or a favor, she just might grant it. And if that wish is granted, the person is required to return and place a gift at the site of her tomb. I didn't feel comfortable marking her tomb. Yeah, Because A, I, I wasn't able to come back. Right. And B, yeah, it just felt weird. It seems weird. It seems weird. Uh-huh. I didn't. I didn't want to do that. Uh huh. That. Do you have a thing about bobby pins on there? Uh uh-uh. uh Okay. So there was one thing I had read, and this is what I did, which is uh, respect for her, and I can't remember exactly why you can leave uh, bobby pins at the site of her tomb. So I took a bobby pin out of my hair and left it at the. Interesting. I wonder it's, why bobby pins. It's like a little gift thing. Well, actually, I could look it up real quick. Hold on. Because folklore suggests that Laveau was a hairdresser at one time, people leave bobby pins and hair ties in front of her tomb as offerings. Oh, okay. So it was just an offering thing that I was like, while I'm here, I'm going to do this. But it does not involve writing on your tomb, so I'm in. Right, because the this whole legend of doing the three X's on the tomb actually led to a lot of vandalism. Mm-hmm. Apparently, 
specifically after one where three X's were painted in like Pepto-Bismol pink paint. The Archdiocese of New Orleans uh, closed the cemetery off to the general public in March of 2015. And today, only people on licensed tours may proceed inside. There were definitely still some X's on there. And while we did walk through with tours, you definitely got to roam a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if people are still doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be either. But hopefully it's more of a not quite Pepto-Bismol pink spray painted X's. Yeah. (laughs) Those who do take the tour will often uh, report feeling like they're being touched or becoming unexplainably ill or hearing voices coming from inside her tomb. I got none of that. Spooky. Another ghostly resident that you might encounter is Henry Vanes. Am I saying that correctly? Do you know this one? I do not know this one. Okay. I might have been told about it, but that was a few years ago. I I don't remember. It's V-I-G-N-E-S. I think... Veins sounds Veins, right. yeah, right? Okay. Oh, oh, I did something right once. <laughs> During the 19th century, Henry worked as a sailor traveling all around the world, and he had no home to call his own. He was a wanderer. Oh. Yeah, a wanderer. He wanders round and round and round and round and round. That's a song. <laughs> is it? It is a song. Okay. <laughs> it, wasn't, I, I just... it wasn't sung well. <laughs> My my thought just went to uh, Mumford and Sons. Oh, no. Hold me fast. Hold me fast. Because I'm a hopeless wanderer. So we're going to hold Mr. Payne's fast. Yeah. Because he wanders around and round and round. Uh, anyway, <laughs> at some point, he settled in New Orleans, making a home at a local boarding house. After some time, he was called away for another voyage. But before he left, he asked the owner of the boarding house to look after some important documents, such as papers that were like, I don't know, like a deed, I guess, to his family's tombs. Okay. Tomb papers. And although the owner of the boarding house assured Henry that she would definitely keep these important documents safe, she did not. In fact, she sold the documents, the deeds, to the family's tomb while Henry was away. Fuck that. How shitty is that? It's unbelievably shitty. So he was very sad when he got back to New Orleans, you know. My family tombs just out of my possession. You know, somebody else owns my dead family. Yeah, he was betrayed. He now has no place to be buried. And although he tried, he was never actually able to rectify this situation. Sadly, shortly after his return, Henry fell ill and died. But because his tomb had been sold and there was no money to build another one, Henry's body was buried in an unmarked grave in the pauper section of the St. Louis Cemetery, number one. Oh, my God. He had a whole tomb. And then suddenly his stupid landlord sold his papers and now he's just in an unmarked grave in the pauper section. Ugh. Henry can still be seen wandering the cemetery and folks describe him as being a tall man with blue eyes, and as being so lifelike that visitors claim to have conversations with him, thinking he's just a regular old person. He is said to walk up to tourists and ask them if they know where the Vane's tomb is located, as he seems to be unable to find it himself. Oh my God, that's so sad. 
According to GhostCityTours.com, allegedly, Henry's ghost has even turned up at funerals, appearing behind the grieving to ask if there might be any room in the tomb for him. Oh my God, that's so sad. And so sad. The apparition of Henry Vane's has been caught on camera, and on one EVP, a man's voice was said to have proclaimed, I need the rest. I need to rest. One of those, uh, which has since been attributed to Henry. Another spirit that you might encounter is that of Alphonse. Alphonse. And I don't know who he is. Okay. <laughs> like, he's mentioned on all of the lists, but I couldn't figure out who, who the heck Alphonse was. He is a person who has a grave there. He's just Alphonse, man. Alphonse. It's like Elvis. Alphonse. Um, yeah, I tried to Google. There are a lot of people named Alphonse. Um, in New Orleans, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> throughout history, uh, several of them more recently, and I, I don't know who he is or when he passed away, but uh, uh, he, he is one of the prominent ghosts on all of the lists, and his spirit is known to grab the hands of visitors, smile widely at them, and ask them to take him home. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. Like a bad pickup artist. Yeah. Alphonse is hitting on you. Uh, though no one really knows where home is for him he also is said to <laughs> Kayla he's also said to have been seen gathering flowers from other people's graves and then placing them on his own <laughs> like bro <laughs> nobody gives me flowers anymore but they love these ones here I'm gonna I don't see mine. these ghosts around <laughs> so I'm gonna take them for myself cause I'm here to enjoy them Alphonse you know I want to find Alphonse's grave, and I want to go to New Orleans and just distinctly bring flowers for him. Maybe, yeah. And then he'll be like, can I come home with you? And then As he smiles like, creepily, and you're and like. And I'll be like, bitch, no. <laughs> you stay here. Enjoy your flowers. Do not ever welcome ghosts to come home with you. Never. Never do it. You make sure when you leave a haunted place, you say, I don't want anybody to follow me. Yeah, don't do it. Don't, don't ask them to come. Say no. Just say no. No means no. It is thought that Alphonse may have been murdered or betrayed by someone in the Penide family, since every time a visitor steps near the Penide family tomb, Alphonse appears to warn them to stay away. But besides the uh, the biggies, the St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 is said to be home of many spirits. Visitors claim to feel as if someone or something is watching them, and there are also reports of a of a soft voice. That people can hear from someone standing behind them, only to turn around and realize that there's no one there. Is is it somebody asking them to be taken home? Because then we know it's just Alphonse again. Can I go home with you? Can you take me home? Anyway. <laughs> uh, that is the St. Louis Cemetery number one in New Orleans. You did not include the creepiest part of St. Louis Cemetery number one. What is the creepiest part? Nicholas Cage's tomb. It's not haunted. Oh, it's in there. But it's not haunted. Oh, yeah, it was creepy as hell. <laughs> so you got, okay, so right. So you got, just from my experience. Okay. You've got this graveyard full of the, the if I recall correctly, there's also on several of the walls, there's tombs mm -hmm. um, that are like, just like, instead of being like a family crypt scenario, it's where people are either until a space becomes open or... How does a space become open? I will get to that. Okay. Okay. So there's like 
you're surrounded by some that are well-maintained, some that are not maintained. Either way, they all look very old and gorgeous and beautiful. Right. Except in just one section, there's this fucking white-ass pyramid shape. Like marble? No, I mean, it's it's not marble. I don't know what the stone is. Okay. But it's white, and it's a pyramid, and it is Nicolas Cage's tomb for when he dies. I don't like that. Because when he went bankrupt. Uh-huh. When you go bankrupt, they can claim like they can seize your assets, but they cannot seize burial plots. Hashtag fun fact. Yeah. Okay. And so that's still his. He's not dead. No. And yet this fucking tomb is covered in red lipstick prints because fans will go there and kiss it with red lipstick on. That's weird. Yeah. The our tour guide was making fun of it hard. Yeah, and I would me and too. Sean were just like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> and a a pyramid, and it doesn't fit with everything else. It doesn't. I don't understand it. But didn't he own the Lalaurie Mansion? Yes, he did. I don't know who owns it now, but it is not available for tours. Mm. They used to do tours, but I don't think they do anymore. At least when we were there, which was that was the trip that I proposed to Sean on. So twenty. 18? Mm-hmm. Maybe? That sounds right. Uh, so we weren't able to visit it. We were just able to stand outside it and look at it. But the way that tombs become available, and if I, I, I think I'm describing this right, it's been quite some time. Yeah, 2018. But if I recall this correctly, the tombs that I was telling you about that fall into disrepair because the family doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, you have to be on a tour to go in there. But if you have, like, if, if one of those tombs is your family, then you can go in there, too. Oh, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So you have these well-maintained ones, but then you have all these ones that are literally, like, the, the, the elements have taken their toll on them. Nobody else maintains them. The, the church or the people in charge of the cemetery now do not maintain these Crips. They're only maintained by the families or the people who are their caretakers. Okay. So with time and age and weather and where, some of these are literally just a pile of dirt on the ground. Like rubble and dust. That is so sad. But there's bodies in there. Well, there's decayed and decomposed and basically dust now bodies, yes. Okay. So what happens is, from what I remember the tour guide describing, is that until that is completely worn away by the weather, that is when it becomes an available plot. Okay. So once it breaks down to be like flat, we can put something else on top of there now. Once it breaks down to a point that it is no longer a tomb for another person, Mm -hmm. then a a spot has opened up, as I understood it at the time. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. If somebody knows a different way or knows something different, Please tell me because that's this is just my memory. Sean's been listening recently, which is new and exciting. So, Sean, if you remember Sean. something differently, you tell me. What? But yeah, that was that was that's not the creepy part. That's just how things become open. And I thought that they said that the people in the in the walls were maybe waiting for an opening. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the creepiest part is people kissing a ugly ass like tomb for a person who isn't dead i think that's super creepy yeah i don't like that i don't like that it's a pyramid yeah and it's weird 
does does he even have any connections to New Orleans? Well, I think he loves New Orleans. Okay. I mean, that's obviously because he bought the LaLaurie Mansion. Yeah, I, I think he loves New Orleans and wants to be buried there, which it is. I do think that it is nice that if something happens in your life and you have to, like, they can't seize your burial plots. Yes. Yes. And that's not just a New Orleans thing. That's anywhere. You can't, like, burial plots can't be taken. All right, everyone. New investments. No. Burial plots. No. Burn me. <laughs> throw me in the grass. Well, Don't no, waste money on a burial plot. You can sell it then. Oh. But no, mat- <laughs> no matter where you are, you'll always have, it's like there's always money in the banana stand. You're going to have a, you know. There's always money in the burial plots. You're going to have a monopoly on burial plots. <laughs> yeah. All right. So on a skeptic scale of paranormal, uh-huh. I'm going to give the St. Louis Cemetery number one of five. Me too. There's no way around it. I, yeah, it I agree. It is absolutely haunted. Uh-huh. I agree. But right that's kind of what we end up doing with every cemetery. Cemeteries are haunted. It just, it, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I was reading one of, I think the ghostcitytours.com website said something about how, however much you might think so, cemeteries are not inherently haunted because the people who are buried there don't necessarily have any connection to the cemetery. They're more likely to be where they had a connection in their life or where they died. So I don't think that all cemeteries are haunted, um, but the ones we cover, we cover them because they're haunted. Okay. And I okay, think that those point. ones are correct. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. I have no listener stories or listener requests for you this week. Okay. But we love listener stories and listener requests. It would be really nice if you all send us some. So if you have a story you would like to share, something you'd love to hear about, anything like that, you can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the listener stories tab at the top of the page or you can visit the link tree in our bio. You can choose to include your name or remain anonymous, whatever you are most comfortable with. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. You can also follow us on social media. We are on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic, and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. We've got only a few weeks left in 2022. <sighs> I'm so ready to be done. Which means we're also, so we're almost on our 100th episode. Uh-huh. Shortly after our 100th episode, we will be two years into this podcast. Yeah, we will. This is amazing and fun, and we love you all very much. Make sure to join us on the 19th. 19th. For our live broadcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, we love you and appreciate you so much. It's true. We appreciate you so much. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay. okay. Bye. Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye!